Gay and Rob Waterhouse. Welcome to Wolf Den. How are you guys? How are you guys today? Yeah, I'm very well. You both, both look excellent. Um, well, thank you for coming in. And we did a great podcast with Adrian, your co-trainer. We did a great po- podcast with Rob. And in the podcast, we touched on um, the legacy of Tulloch Lodge and, and TJ, your father, a little bit. But I got much more intrigued about it and a lot of other viewers did. And it's such an important part of Australian racing history. And it, it is quite well documented. And I know you've talked about it a lot with a lot of people in the past. Um, I'd love to talk to you about it again. We have a pretty young audience as well. So it's even more important to let them know about how important the legacy is. Um, and... When I was preparing, I stumbled across a piece of gold and the piece of gold is a 1989 Wide World of Sports segment on you. And I thought it would be great to play it to take us back to that time, put a bit of life and colour and character to what life was like for you when you started out a trainer and people who don't know who your dad was, they can see him there. So let's play this first clip and then we can have a bit of a chat about it. Ligon arms at the furlong. Ligon arms. Well, Gay's got ambition to be a horse trainer and no doubt about it she'll succeed because she's got that drive and she's got a good eye. She's very quick here. I suppose she's one of the best clockers that's ever been at Randwick. Do you see her taking over your business ever? Well, Gay, she's going to start training in a a couple of years' time and uh, so um, I think uh, Gay will set lights going when she uh, starts. Few fathers could boast such a dedicated daughter. She's been involved in the family business for the last decade, absorbing horsecraft. But I, I want to just learn as much as I can. You know, I'm like a sponge. I, I'm always, he says, you ask too many questions. I said, well, you won't tell me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, so that was 1989. So I think you've been working with your dad for about 10 years then. You're about three or four years away from getting your licence in your own right. Um, I'd like to learn a bit about what you learned, not only off your dad, but from being involved in a stable at that time. I thought a good place to start would be because we're preparing for spring now and you're preparing your team of horses for spring. If you could talk a bit about what you remember your dad would talk about as you were getting his team ready for spring back in those days. Well, dad was a one horse. You know, he was the most remarkable uh, horseman. He was the most remarkable trainer. And he he was a a great business person. But he was also very good at instilling knowledge to his, his only child, his daughter, Gay. And we, as you could see us strolling off the, the track, you know, we're talking all the time and discussing the horses and discussing different programs, very much as Adrian and I do now. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dad was a very hard taskmaster. Robert agreed with that. You know, he, he was critical. If you didn't get it right, he'd tell you in no uncertain terms, Richard. But it was good because it made it that you, you know, we were always striving for gold. You, you weren't happy with silver or, or bronze. And it was interesting watching us in the old clocking tower there. I definitely think my hairstyle has improved since then. <laughs> yeah, and he – so in another um, clip he mentions you as one of the, the best clockers at Randwick. Um, what, so what were you doing back then? What, what did – being one of the best clockers, what does that exactly mean? Well, you know, we, we work in Australia to times and so uh, I started as an, a, a an apprentice to my father and I would clock the horses and I can remember when Rob and I were going out I said I don't know I can't master this dash thing because it's all in the dark and in those days we didn't have any lights as you can see the horse coming up the straight anyway one day I went to the track and the penny dropped like it does with most things when you've been practicing for a while and and I think I was a great assist 
Mm. I'm a great asset to Dad in that respect. But I want to be more than just a clocker. Uh, I wanted to understand the way the horses had to go to times and how they had to work to times and you can't have it upside down. You want them finishing off being the best time, Richard. So they do that in the race. Uh, But I want to be able to learn from him so that I could carry on the business. And was it always from when you first started working with him, were you always going to take over eventually or was it...? No, not at all. The more I worked with Dad, the more I could see how much I was passionate about it and the more I wanted to be more involved. Taking over the business wasn't sort of my main aim. It was really to be accepted and taken into the fold by my father and my uncle. Yeah. And because you're a very famous person now, but back back then were you nowhere near as famous as you are now? Did you sort of... Different. I was, I was still acting at the time. I had a television show. I was acting in Young Doctors and, and Crown Matrimony and a whole lot of those, uh, you know, plays and television series. Uh, and I was... Uh, also had a television show on Channel 7 called Track Time uh, with uh, Bill Collins and uh, 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 Wayne Wilson and Don Scott, who was my co-host. And that was fabulous. That ran for two years uh, and no budget at all and it was a very big success, wasn't it? Robert? Huge yeah. success. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of punters watch this show and TJ's got a, a reputation for being... A punter and he did very well out of over the years and I was talking to people who know that era well and they said that trainers back then were big punters and they had to be because the prize money wasn't as wasn't as big it was did you get a sense for TJ being a big punter and and, and whatnot when that you worked with him that wasn't a big punter but everyone tipped in those days you know uh, jockeys tipped uh, uh, clockers tipped uh, trainers tipped strappers tipped it, it was just part of the culture so because you know it was a tipping society and everyone you know, be wanting to get the tip about the horse, the best chance in the race. Everyone read the paper. Everyone went straight to the sports section in the paper. There were huge sections on racing, not like nowadays it's pittance, it's nothing. You know, in those days, Dad was in the paper every day. Mm. I mean, he was a household name. He was a household face. Everyone knew... He was one of the few people in the world, I'm known by my first name pretty well globally, Dad was known by his first initial, by his mm. initials, TJ. Mm. And they knew exactly who they were talking about. And didn't he pioneer jockeys, sorry, trainers talking to the press when he, someone was telling me a story that when Playboy was in like the 1949 AJC Derby, he talked to the press and said, oh, it's going to win the Derby and made a big deal about it. And then some of the other trainers said, why would you talk to the press? You don't talk to the press. And his thought was, well, it's free, free publicity for me and it's worthwhile. And from then on... Everyone kind of cotton on as well and started speaking to the press. Is That's that true, Rob? Isn't he? Yeah, uh, he, he did have five hundred pounds of it, hundred to one too. So he did. He was wow. He was talking <laughs> to his pocket as well, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, and it was a hundred to one to win the derby, was it? Well, it was a hundred when he backed it. Yeah, I don't know. Whether, uh, I might start thirty threes. Was hundred when he backed. It. Yeah, but it was. I think it was a maiden, wasn't it? Its first derby. Playboy in the nineteen forty nine yeah, derby. I so. have to look. Mm. <laughs> the, before the, my time. The interesting thing is that. Uh, you know, he, he spoke to the press and it's a wonderful, there's a wonderful, wonderful clip or show on him with George Moore. And George Moore, of course, he owned at Yarraman Park in Scone and, and, and there's a, a wonderful um, take of Dad in, in the Southern Cross in Melbourne sitting on the side of the bed making his calls to the press and to his owners. His communication skills for a man who had absolutely no education mm. was absolutely remarkable. Surely. He had a remarkable 
a way of talking to people, of conveying what he wanted to. And you've got to remember there were no texts, there were no, uh, you know, Facebook, there was uh, no social media whatsoever, no mobile phones, and the only way you could get out was to pick up the phone or they ring you. And I sat opposite my father every morning at breakfast and every morning from quarter to seven till about a quarter to eight, Dad spoke to all his owners and all the press and mm. they knew he was accessible. Mm. And you obviously have mirrored that a lot with your career. I mean, you do you find the press has – you've handled the press well to enhance your success over the years? Has it always been the forefront of your mind to – Well, they can be – it can be work against you as it can work for you. But, you know, as Dad said, uh, you know, bad news is, is, is tomorrow's newspaper wrapping, uh, you know, fish, fish and chip wrapping. And he, he said, you know, all, all press is good press. You know, the most important thing is to be out there. So people are talking. There are the journalists today, though, are there? There are the journalists today. The journalist ranks are very thin. Yeah, there are so many more journalists than oh. all the papers. Yeah, well, a lot of them have been cut by the by the Sydney Morning Herald and, and, and the, and the and Australian they, and stuff. They, and the Telegraph. And they don't write very much, do they? Whereas no. the papers were full of newspapers. The journalists are looking for angles for stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why don't we move along? I've got another clip here, and this clip is of you guys watching the 1989 Golden Slipper. For the prestigious Golden Slipper, TJ Smith had four starters. The highly fancied Mercury, A Little Kiss, Paris Opera and Momentaire. Gosh, she looks good Momentaire, doesn't she? Mm. Paris Opera, I know that. Not in front, no, he's fourth or fifth, Dad, but you know where Mercury is? Back of the field. Yes, he is. He's near and last. He's last. Can't pick up his feet in it, Dad. Can't pick up his feet. And um, I don't it, just see in the front of the picture there, that's a very young Clint McDonald. Yeah. And it was, and Kortzer won, I believe, Ross McDonald trained Kortzer. Um, so you, your father was very prolific trainer of two-year-olds and so have you been. And when Adrian was in here, he told us a story that when your father passed, you sort of had a bit of an argument with him maybe about how to train two-year-olds or something and then um, it sort of changed the way you train two-year-olds. Would you be willing to tell us about what happened with that? Well, I couldn't train two-year-olds and uh, Dad said, uh, he said, you make a man sick, he said, you... You can't train these two-year-olds. I said, what are you talking about? I said, all you do is break them down. And he said, I won six golden slippers. <laughs> and I stormed off. I was cross with him and that. And anyway, we flew up north, Rob and I, and Dad passed away on that weekend. So I, I came back and I said to Rob, I said, I'll be damned if I can't get this right, you know. I'm not going to – I'm just going to just concentrate on short and sharp and, and just get them right. And we had the most remarkable season, a 40-individual City two-year-old winners. Yeah. You know, turned it right around. You know, I just had time to sort of, without Dad being there, I had to think about what would he do, you know, how how can I get this right because he's, he's quite correct. I'm not getting it right, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so wh- why don't we keep moving and I, I've got a um, another clip here and I want to talk a, a bit about the business of Tullock Lodge and it's just a clip that shows you guys at a sort of a, a dinner, a Tullock Lodge dinner, I presume, or something close to that, and also the yearling sales. So why don't we have a bit of a look at that and um, used to work with that. a tongue-tie, didn't he? Yep. Will you tell Tom Barker he's got to have a tongue-tie on him because he swallowed his tongue? 
Increasingly, women are becoming involved at all levels of the racing game. 35-year-old Gay just happens to be a standout, excelling at the track and in the social stakes. Skilled PR person for Tullock Lodge and TJ. And then as soon as they're not good enough, get rid of those and buy something else. This is darkness at the other end of the day. And Gay is still working, entertaining and informing clients, and Richard Zachariah, yeah. and horses in style. While TJ is under his famous bidding tree at the Easter sales, Gay is still tying up loose social ends after a Tullock Lodge dinner. Well, it was a great success. Was it? Yeah, it really was. Yeah, so um, all those scenes there have been a big part of you know, your career over the last 30 years or so. I guess we could start with the yearling sales. People told me that TJ was very, very good at picking out good horses at the yearling sales. Is that right? He had a great eye. He was able to see a horse and he had an amazing memory. So if he'd seen a horse once, wasn't he, Rob? He could remember it. And, the um, same as you are. You could recognise horses. Yeah, so he, was, he was fabulous. And he had a very good understanding of the marketplace. So if he went to the sale, he could, he could uh, very quickly work out, you know, what would be the, the top-priced horse, what would, you know... And also he was always looking for, uh, for value for money and, mm. and where could he get the, the really athletic type of cult or lovely fluid-moving filly... Uh, you know, you don't train all those winners if you're not doing something right back at basic level, which, of course, basic level of the sales, aren't mm. they? And because I've, I've bumped into Rob at the sales and he's sort of got his form guide for the sales and he'll say, oh, this horse is going to sell for 180000 and then it comes up and it sells for 185000 or 190. It's amazing how accurate when you get in the groove of yearling sales. I, I'm armed with Gay's thoughts. Yeah. It's a big start. Yes, yes, okay. yes. And do you do it? You must have a bit of a team, Gay, that help you with the um, yearling selections. I'm it. No, interesting. Yeah, I great. do have a team. I work but, but when do you start? I start in October. Yeah. So I get to see the horses before anyone else, and we work. Um, my girlfriend, friend, forty years, Leah Stracy. She mm -hmm. she is my scribe and comes around with me. And if I've seen a horse and I say, Oh gosh, I can't remember, it was it was Bay and it had a star and, a, and something or another. She'll go back and she'll go through the notes and find it mm. and say, look, that's the horse. Mm. Oh, good, got it. Um, and then I work with Claudia Miller and, and uh, a young Emma Coleman and we go around and then Adrian will go off and do his own selections and then we'll come back and we'll put them together. We have, uh, you know, pedigree expert Bruce Slade uh, and we work together as a team going into the sales I do Lo long conferences on sale. There are long conferences on sale morning out there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Gave me to about seven o'clock and works through to about ten. That's a yeah. they're long days. They're very long days, and they. But we really put the miles in. Uh, uh, David um, uh, from Magic Millions uh, says to me, he says, "I think that you uh, the reason why you're so successful at the sales is that you make sure you see all the horses on the farms first, you know, which is." Nice thing for him to say. Yeah, and you're still very much doing that these days. You're oh, absolutely. So yeah, what well, are, what I can't present. I've broken down. I've gone in the the tendon. Yeah, you bowed a tendon. Yeah, <laughs> a bit like White Marlin. But <laughs> but uh, you know, yes, I do. I do. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I, I find it very stimulating. They're long days. Yeah, very stimulating. I enjoy listening to what the team have to say. There's always something that gets in my mind that I can't take it out of you know Vancouver or Piero or that I just can't. Sort of get it out of my head. It's yeah, because it's punting as well, isn't it? It's just another form well, of punting, I say isn't to people, it? People buy bets when I go to the sales and buy the horse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And um, let's talk about you know your owners. You've had 
lots and lots of owners. And I've heard you talk about, you know, um, racing horse with Bot Waterhouse Racing as being like part of a club. And that's obviously very important to you that you make people feel part of a club. And you've been very good at, um, you know, having dinners like you have up here and stuff. Is that, that's been an important thing, has it? Well, you know, owning and racing a horse in Australia, firstly, most people can afford to race a horse. You know, you get, uh, you know, syndicates like My Runners where people have got a, a, a you know, 1% or like a 1,000th share in a horse. That doesn't happen overseas. Mm. So this is the wonderful thing. It's accessible to the public. Um, the other thing is, you you know, when they come to the races, all the wives say, what do you think gay I'll be wearing? What should I wear a hat? You know, isn't it nice to think that we, we girls, as well as the husbands, can go somewhere where you can dress up? Isn't it wonderful to think you can go as a couple and mm. know that both the men and the women can enjoy themselves um, you know, you can't think of every sport that that, that happens, mm. Richard. And and it's 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 a lot of fun. And you know, people come for different things. Some come because it's a business. Some come because they wanted to be like a club. Others come because I really love the horses. Others, it's a whole combination of those things. Mm. So we try to provide something like that. That you know, as as you get older, I've found people find it harder and harder to make new friends. Mm. But if you own a racehorse, all of a sudden those people that you're racing with, mm. a lot of them become your best friends. Mm. It's great. Because racing is just about the human connection, isn't it? At the end of the day, you want to yeah. yeah, connect with other people. And so you've been watching racing for a very long time. Are you enthused as how well the game is doing at the moment? I mean, I feel like I've been deeply involved in the game for about 25 years. I feel, you know, about 20 years ago the game wasn't going that well. We were starting to get not be as significant, but I felt feel that we've really come on and we're, you know, very much a part of the, new, the next generation's um, recreation time and stuff. How do you feel? That's a different... Rob and I often talk about this. It's a different type of... You know, the days we were talking about before where everyone was tipping and betting and one thing and another, that's totally disappeared. So as Rob, as a bookmaker, could wouldn't you agree? So, yeah. So now it's all uh, betting on your phone, it's all... Uh, Instagram, it's social media, as well as the horses. But the, uh, the focus has slightly changed. So if you go back to the, you know, the middle of like the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, everyone was about the horse. Mm. It was about uh, going to the races. Everyone had binoculars. Where are the people with binoculars nowadays? Mm. No one has binoculars anymore. A lot of people just watch it on their phones. Mm. You know, so it's changed. It's a different... And when you look at the advertising nowadays to the advertising of 30 years ago, it's got a different focus. Yes, it's yes. Girls stay out. It's a come and, you know, have a few drinks, you know. Yeah. Hello, it's a horse race. Yeah, yes. so you think you think we need to promote the horse more? You think we should champion yeah, the I horse more? So. I think it's being a little bit lost. Yeah. You know, for the prize money we have offered in Australia, which is astronomical, I can't think of where it's better, you know, really. There are a couple of countries that are equal or better, but really and truly we stand alone. And the lovely thing, as I said before, is that people can come to the races, but they're not. They're a lot of them are staying away. And maybe, you know, that can be looked at and sort of how do we change that? How do we get people back to the track? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and Grandpa Bill, Bill Waterhouse, um, Rob talked about TJ and that he lent on TJ a little bit for business advice and whatnot. Did you lean on Grandpa Bill a bit over the years and talk about how you can improve the business of Tullock Lodge and stuff? I probably should have lent on him more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Grand, Grandpa Bill, Bill Waterhouse was a phenomenon. He was like my father. Both of them phenomenal people, and and very kind and and, and very generous of his time. 
But he was a wonderful support to Rob, and if he was a support to Rob, he was a support to me. Yeah, lovely. He was fabulous. Um, so I've got one more clip to play, and this is this is basically to talk a bit about family and and whatnot. I'm not I'm not trying to make you too emotional, um, but this is. Let's watch this and then just have a, a, have a bit of a chat about life. family. Horses or not, she only hopes that they do it well, after her own style. If I do something, it's just 100%. There's not no 99. There's no room for that. Her father might be a self-made millionaire, but Gay doesn't sit back and wait for fortune to come her way. She works for it. Why, was he hanging a bit? I thought he was when he came round the turn. I don't think I was born with a silver spoon. I always think that, you know, I'm a pretty down-to-earth sort of person. I work so hard because I know if I'm going to be taken seriously in the job I've chosen to do, I have to be able to prove that I'm capable of doing it. Yeah, so you look at that and nothing's really changed other than you've worked incredibly hard for the last 35 years to... Um, Tom's changed. Tom's changed. Tom's changed yes, a lot, and Kate. <laughs> the, um, and the funny thing too is... I. They're having a little bit of an argument with each other and I've got a seven-year-old yeah. and a five-year-old and they drive me crazy with their arguing. I'm sure Tom and Kate are experiencing the same. You can play that to them and say, hey, when they get frustrated with their kids arguing, you can say, you guys were the same. Because they're just, that nitpicking reminded me of my own kids. I hate it. But everyone's the same, aren't they? Everyone's so. the same. Everyone's the same. It's nice. Um, but yeah, so it's always been 100% for you, hasn't it? And for you, Rob. And, and, and I've been acquaintances of you guys for a long time and I know Tom pretty well. I know Kate a tiny bit. But the Waterhouse way is that you go as hard as you can. To, for as you long know, as you can. For as long as you can, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. good. It's yeah. good. That's nice. You know, I was talking to a, an owner today and I said, you know, isn't it wonderful uh, to still be able to be in business? I said, you know, if I didn't, I can't imagine myself making cakes every day or knitting or, <clears throat> you know, going and playing golf. But I love it. I love it that you can pick up the phone and you can talk to anyone from all walks of life and you, you learn so much and... You meet such interesting people. I just love it. I think it's it's from not only the horse side, which I find so fascinating, I enjoy the owner side too. It's yeah. great. It's a lovely combination. Gay, when did you start going to the stables? What age were you? Oh, I was always – I used to go in with Dad, uh, you know, and he'd take me as a small child on the front of the boat uh, when we used to take the horses to Coogee and we'd swim the horses out behind the boats. The kids would be on them, swimming them, and they'd go around the front of their neck and put their – legs up over the horse's shoulders and they'd swim out to Coogee and I'd be in the little road. Coogee, wow. Yeah, and they'd have a couple of horses behind. You can't imagine going to Coogee now with about a team of 40 horses. And, and, and did you ride track work? Yes, I did. I rode track work when uh, Kevin Langby and uh, Bobby Pierce and oh, there were a team of them. They drove me insane. They just did because I wasn't very strong and I'd be getting around there on my horse that Dad had put me on and they'd go, gosh, and of course the horse would go faster and faster, and then I'd get into trouble from uh, that on the on the, the half mile gap. And he'd say, "Go on, pull that horse back, young Smith. Pull that horse back. Don't do that." <laughs> Mr. Johnson. Oh, he's terrifying. Malcolm Johnson. Yeah. 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 Oh, that, that's, that's, that's course curator. Course curator. Oh, course curator. Okay. A very formidable, very tall man. But mate, used to about four of Malcolms that make up him. <laughs> yeah. And how did you how did your dad take it when you said you wanted to go to be an actor, actress? Well, he wasn't very impressed. Yeah. I'd already given up going to NIDA because Dad was against it. Uh, and so I went and did a university course majoring in drama at New South Wales Uni. And then when I came out, he and Mum and I went overseas and I left them in Rome and went back to, um, to further my career. And, and 
it was good. It was great. I had a bit of success and learned a lot and, and got great self-confidence and travelled all over England and over to Canada for the show, Copenhagen. You know, it was fabulous. Mm. And then there was just a point when you were like, I'm ready to come home. Just one day I woke up and I thought, I've got to go home. Yeah. I, I just packed my bag and I, I, I just finished a job, Doctor, Doctor Who, and it was winter in England and just something inside me said, no, I've got to go home. And within six months I'd met Rob and... And that's a story of 43 years ago. Yeah, and he's <laughs> been one of your biggest biggest supporters, both professionally and personally, obviously. Oh, everything. Everything. Yeah, you guys are a, a very – well, an inspirational team, really. you just watching watching what you guys do um, together to stay in business together and, and be happy for so long. It's what everyone sort of aspires to, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah, that's a bit yeah. of a yang. And you, you learn to sort of uh, – if you can't uh, – know sort of flow with the blows you shouldn't be in business together like adrian and me you shouldn't be also in a relationship because it won't work yeah. i remember once i had a terrible blue with singo and i was so hot and steam was going out <laughs> of my ears and i he, 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 i said to him i said you change your trainers like you do your wives you <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't like that one and anyway i rang my wife oh, i've done the most terrible thing i had a terrible blue with john and he said, well, someone's got to say sorry. And so I wrote to him. I said, look, darling, I was a bit hot under the collar. And he wrote straight back. He said, well, all's forgiven. Yeah. You know? Well, that's a bit like in the relationship. You know, you've got to – someone's got to be able to – can't keep going head and head because you'll end up busting up. You've got to just say, look, oh, well, we'll let that move on and we'll yeah. you know, come around and move on. It's good. Yeah. Now, I could ask you when you're happiest, but I think I know, and it would be – What's happening in this clip? So let's watch this last clip. It's a famous clip. You're both going to know it. But it's great fun and everyone loved it when it happened. Come on, Carlin. Come on. Come on, Carlin. Come on. 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 So you got your family and your grandkids around you. You're on your your property, your, your farm down the coast, and you're watching your horses win the best races in Australia. So it was dream like it was dream like. I love being with my family. I love I love uh, working with the horses, and it's a it's a wonderful combination. It was a wonderful thing for Adrian because you know it's such a, a milestone winning the Golden Slipper. It's such a a major major race. Yeah. It's a, the stallion making race of Australia. I don't think people with all the races they've got nowadays, understand how important a race it is. Mm, mm, very much so. And so you've had a lot of success and what, if you could just put into a couple of words, the ideals that you've relied on over this, you know, your career, which is still going, can you can you put it into words what, what each day you wake up and, and think about to make sure you get the most out of each day and continue to have success? What do you think, Robin? I'll tell Robin. Guys like that, the headmistress of the school that knows every pupil. Okay. Remembers everybody. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and I think that the, the enormous drive, you know, you've taken on a huge task, you know, the 150 horses in training and they're, you know, they're all owned by many, many people. Uh, so it's a massive business and you, every day you get up and you say, look, you know, I want to achieve this and I get things in my head and something might be just 
niggling at me and I'm like a woody woodpecker. I'll just keep at it and at it and at it till that comes right. Yeah. And it drives everyone insane. <laughs> but that at it and at it and at it gets that horse or whatever it might be with the programming or whatever it might be with the owner that's not happy, it just gets it right. So that's probably a bit my personality. And I love the I love just being able to be out and about. I love that freedom of not being confined to the office or, or wherever. I love it that I can get out and, you know, walk into a stable or go over to the mile with the horses or do this or do that. I love that freedom that it gives you. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, what's your specialty at the moment? Uh, well, it's the barriers at present and, and, uh, and the problem horses. And I love, you know, I like problem people to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I like problem horses because often they've just got something that's been not seen by someone else. And often it can be ironed out very easily. Yeah, so you've been, does that mean that you take on horses that won't load into the barriers and stuff for other trainers or mostly your own horses? No, just ours. But a perfect example was air to air. You know, when she came to us, uh, she had the most odd shoes. I've never seen shoes on a, on a horse quite like it. She had earmuffs. Um, uh, she had a, a, you know, a thing over her face, um, a, you know, blindfold. Um, she had a barrier blanket. And when she went to the races with us, uh, I think she just had the pony. Yeah. The difference. Yeah. Uh, so she was a massive challenge to the team I worked with, you know, really a massive challenge. I love that Conti Partier, a multiple group one winner, arrived. I've never seen such a worry water. Oh, it was just every day was a major drama for her. And, you know, we just kept tapping away and doing, you know, uh, it, 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 it's fun, you know. It, it, it's fun to be able to work out what it is that's perplexing them mm. and you just talked about your team then so many people have gone through your business onto bigger and not not bigger and better things but just different things mm. um, and often bigger and better things than the role they had with you within the industry and you must look now much like you look at some of the great horses you've had you've had a lot of great staff that are doing big things in racing now haven't oh, you? great stars you know yeah. the, these people have come and worked with me and they're leading trainers bloodstock agents you know uh, successes in their life they may not have been mm. um overseas too yeah overseas uh, lo yes, lots overseas of lead track, young, yeah absolutely you know you look at people like nash and blake blake was at blake uh, shin was only saying to me the other night you know i rang him and i said you didn't speak to me before the races and uh, he said i thought you were going to ring me i said, <laughs> I said sorry my mistake oh anyway um and we were chatting and he said look i just love riding for the stable he said uh, you know and maybe because you know, he was a bit of the bad boy when he came to in Melbourne, when he came to Sydney for me. Rob ra rang me, he was doing whatever he was doing in the office, and he rang up and he said, there are two, two jockeys you've got to put on. And I said, who are they? He said, that Nash Weller. So he said, you put him on, he's the heavyweight jockey there. And at that time, Nash hadn't... He was 32, I think he'd a group one winner ever. Yeah, wow. Very one. much a, a provincial rider. Yeah. And Blake was the naughty boy of Melbourne, getting into a bit of trouble and one thing and another... And I rang them up and I said to Nash, look, we'd like you to come up and ride for me. I said, you know, I think you'd be well suited in Sydney. Uh, actually, I think it's up there. I said, OK. Right. Then I rang Blake and I said, look, Blake, I'd like you to come up. I said, I think you'll really do well under me in, in the stable in Sydney. He said, I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So they both arrived. And it took a little while for them to jerry what I wanted them. And then they never looked back. They yeah. were just fantastic. And then yeah. Tommy... And both improved as riders too, didn't they? Oh. Yeah. And fabulous, and never, never, they have never looked back. They're such good riders, and the funniest one is Tom Berry. Um, Rob said to me that Tom Berry, he said, you want to get hold of him? So of course, like a woman possessed, I turn up at Warwick Farm, 
and I go to the jockey's room and I said, I want to speak to Tom Berry. And out comes Nathan, who Nathan uh, Looks similar. passed away. Yeah. They were not similar. They were identical. <laughs> Even Kathy, Kathy O'Hara, when they both turned up at Wyong one day dressed identically, they went, hello. <laughs> anyway, he came out and I said, look, now, look, I think you'd really do well with me. You know, I've been watching you, blah, 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 blah. He said, thanks, gang. I think you better speak to my brother. Wow. <laughs> I said, oh, no. I did the whole thing again. <laughs> and did Nathan get any rides in sort of in a sign of good faith? Or? <laughs> no, he got a couple. He got a couple. But Tommy was a man I wanted to concentrate on. Yeah, yeah. And last question, in 50 years from now when we're all gone, is it important to you that Tullock Lodge lives on and who knows will be the head trainer there? Oh, is that important no. to you? It's, it, look, it's in the middle of a, 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 a very highly populated area, Kensington. Mm. It's 10 minutes from the CBD. It's 10 minutes from the airport. It's 10 minutes from uh, the, the beaches. It's the most desirable place to live mm. and it's got 150 horses living there. Mm. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's really ma- quite madness. I spoke to a group of owners the other day and I said, here we are. You know, you roll up the roller door at Tullock Lodge, which is in Barrel Street next to a, the Kensington Public School... And I say it's like Disneyland, a whole new world arri- you know, uh, mm. arrives and there are all the horses looking at you. And, <laughs> you know, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah I, I live uh, very close to it. I think Farlap was uh, stable at one stage. Really? And at your other stables, Gay, you had... Uh, Shannon? Uh, Shannon. Was, who were the trainers, Gay? Uh, well, uh, uh, from Bounding Way was Phil Alotta. Yes. Uh, uh, but before, before that, it was the uh, trainer, uh, uh, what was his name, uh, uh, Plant, was it? Peyton. Bailey Payton. Bailey Payton was there. One of the greatest trainers to train at, at Randwick. And, um, and then Peter uh, Pan's trainer. Who was Peter Pan's trainer? McGrath. Frank, oh, Frank McGrath. Frank yeah. McGrath from T- Tempest Moor. Uh, uh, Colin Hayes and David were, were in, in uh, Farnham Lodge. Um, uh-huh. And then, of course, no one better than T.J. Smith yeah. uh, in Tallick Lodge. So they're historic yeah. stables, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. Very famous company. Yeah. And you're planning to go on for as long as you can? There's no... Yes, I'm a, a present. I've got a walking stick with my sore knee. Yeah. Uh, they might be reeling me in, in, a, in a sort of little wheelchair in 10 years' time. No, I just can't see why. Yeah. Oh, there'll be one day I can say I've done it enough, but I'm certainly not for the near future. Unreal, unreal. All right, well, thank you for everything you've done for horse racing. The great game is better because of you, so well, thank, thank you. you. I hope you have much success over spring. Thank you for coming in as well, Good. Rob. I really Pleasure. enjoy this. No, it's privilege for me to do it so thank you very much thank you